Know this, Frank Drake. You've won but a battle. In the final analysis, the game is mine, as it has always been, will always be mine, forever mine! Count Vlad Dracula. Aloha, bienvenidos, and welcome to Noob Island, a place for nerdy fun, friendships, and learning. I'm Professor T. And I'm Professor Z. Much like the starting zone of many video games, the goal of our island resort is to teach visiting noobs about geeky subjects. But away from the stress of having to worry about sweaty tryhards, griefers, know-it-alls, or neckbeards, we like to think of it as learning in luxury. Noob? Yes, Professor? Tell the rest of the class your name, how you got here today. I think it's a car. <laughs> Actually, I... I parked behind your car. <laughs> I use and, that. <laughs> and what you're here to learn about. My name is uh, Mackenzie. I'm here to learn about magic in the Marvel Universe, and I rode my flying blue car in today. All right, I'll roll with it. <laughs> well, I Professor Z doesn't fly. <laughs> Technically, it was parked by the time I got here. That's all I can say for sure. Nobody knows. Well, with that in mind, Professor Z, what's our lesson today? The Tomb of Dracula. Is this one of those things like who's buried in Grant's tomb? No. Okay. Also, it's Kevin is buried in Grant's tomb. <laughs> um, okay, so a couple of things before we dive in on this. One, we are entering the area of magic in the Marvel Universe that I know the absolute least about. I was talking with Mac about this. <laughs> well, it's weird because this is the section that I probably know the most about the folklore origins of all the different yes, monsters we were, we're going to talk about. about this. Mac was like, oh, is this Tyler's area? And I'm like, no. Yes, but no. <laughs> kind <laughs> of, but no. <laughs> but kind of, yeah. but no. But it's also a really interesting period, so I'm actually really excited about it, but I'm really stressed about it at the same time. Like, some of, you know, Hell was not really my forte, but we had a couple of X-Men characters, so I knew some bits, and I love Damon Hellstrom, Son of Satan, as we've covered ad nauseum, and we'll cover much more in coming episodes. I love how it's like a tribe called Quest, and you have to say the it, whole it, thing. It has to be. I, I just say Damon Hellstrom, and it feels wrong. Like, in my mind, I'm like, Son of Satan. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like how I can say Blade, but I'm still going the Vampire Hunter in my brain. Mm. Just going to go with Blade a lot next week, or next time. But along with this... I have rescheduled how we're doing the vampire section probably eight or nine times. Because it was originally just going to be an episode, and then it was going to be two episodes of, like, Blade and Dracula, and then three, and then it, it's jumped. There will be at least four vampire episodes. There might be five we will find out, not counting the movies. Mm -hmm. And we still have not decided how we're going to handle the movies. It'll probably be Morbin time, but... It's Morbin time. Oh, I didn't even think of... Oh, God. It might be six episodes of Vampires. Because <laughs> I forgot about that living little... <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> I'm not a big Morbius fan. <laughs> That's fine. We're going to try to win myself over for that one. Because that is one thing that I do with each of these. Is like, all right, let's find stuff I like about the character. 
Now, what we're covering today, usually we cover a single specific character, Doctor Strange, Damon Hellstrom, son of Satan, magic, and her magic. That was what uh, I was going to say, the person, not the concept. <laughs> With a Y. But as I was looking into this, a lot of these characters were going to get skipped over because Tomb of Dracula was a, a team book, basically, a, a cast ensemble. And most of them don't have big histories outside of this book, but they are so important to vampires existing in Marvel that I had to cover this book. Also, it's just a really important Marvel book in its own right. It is artist Gene Colan drew all 70 issues of the book. That's incredibly rare. Marv Wolfman drew or wrote, he joined on issue seven and he wrote through issue 70. Wow. Uh, anchor Tom Palmer only didn't ink like maybe four issues of the book in total. This is a the level of a creative team staying for literally 90% of a 70 issue run is in the history of comics extremely rare. Also, Tom Palmer died a month ago as of the date of this recording. Wow. Which I found out admittedly today when I was looking up. Like, oh, what's stuff. the up to? Like, oh, Tom oh. Palmer. Oh. He took the forever sleep. We lost a lot of really cool comic creators mm-hmm. this year, so he kind of got lost in the shuffle. And that's, yeah, anyways. This is not going to be my favorite episode looking back, and I feel weird, like, popping in and being like, this episode's going to suck, because that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but it is, it, it, there was a whole lot of back and forth of how do I want to cover this. And at one point, I was just going to go like, because, you know, Blade, we will not be covering. He gets his own episode next thing. And Marv Wolfman, who was writing the book, was really quickly like, Blade's going to overshadow all of these characters. I can't put him in. Like, I have to use him extremely sparingly, or we will not give a crap about the other five. Mm -hmm. And that's extremely true. true. (laughs) That's so true. Well, I mean, it's like Dracula, the classic Bram Stoker's Dracula. It's a great book. Mm Mm-hmm. Dracula is by far way more interesting than any of the, like, six protagonists that show up. I would say other than Quincy Morris, but... The random cowboy who appears for no reason and is just (laughs) part of the story halfway through, in my opinion, because Bram Stoker ran into a wall, so he just tossed in a cowboy to see what would happen. I don't have proof of that, but that's my theory. It worked. Also, the character that, like, 90% of adaptations leave out. Yeah, because it's a random cowboy. And I'm not With a big-ass Bowie knife. <laughs> he's got the hat. <laughs> um, he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Dracula is more interesting than most of the characters. And that kind of suffers... Uh, this book kind of suffers in that same respect. They're not bad characters. But Dracula, in all of his... Just being the worst is more entertaining than what any of the heroes are doing. I agree. Also, the thing to think about when, especially with Tomb of Dracula, but this is true of a lot of the horror stuff, is uh, the the two important aspects of, and we don't usually go into the behind-the-scenes stuff too much, but the two important aspects of the books when they came out. One, this came out at the beginning of the Satanic Panic and the rise of 70s horror movies. Ooh. The Exorcist wasn't out yet, because I remember the group editor talking about taking all of the horror writers and going to watch The Exorcist together. But that was, you know, this was a, like a golden age of horror movies from what I understand. Two, 
comics had just started to loosen up the Comics Code Authority, which was a big running comic code or comics ruling that said what you could and could not discuss after a panic about 20 years before. The comics were corrupting the youth of America. Like, they were straight up trying to connect them to mass murderers. Mm -hmm. So this was a kind of interesting thing. And then I guess three. I said two, but three. This series was originally not supposed to be a part of the wider Marvel Universe. It was supposed to be a standalone story until they realized, literally, they would get a sales boost if they crossed them over with Spider-Man. The Spider-Man sales boost was too much to ignore. Which is fair. I get it. Mm-hmm. But so suddenly it was became part of the wider Marvel U, and I'm not sure it should have been. As much as I love Blade, as much as I love Dracula, it sits a little funny as a result. Because this book is a sequel to Bram Stoker's Dracula. Right. I mean, to really go with, the first character we're going to cover here is Quincy Harker. Not Quincy, what's his name that we mentioned before? Morris. But, yes. Uh, I will say... Several of these characters, because I'm going to be going through a rough history of each of these characters, one or two of these characters, I basically have, here's where they appeared, here's where they beefed it. Really sorry. I do highly recommend you read this run, though. It is, one, buck wild, and two, extremely good. On that note, we are going to start with, if Quincy Morris is the one character who's as good or better than Dracula in the original Dracula... Quincy Harker is the one character that I desperately want so much more of because he's my reading of him is he's like, if you combined Van Helsing with professor X with inspector gadget, that's not far off. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you've only seen him in flashbacks from what we read (laughs) later. Which, uh, we'll get to that later on. We read, I, I picked a very weird thing to read, but we'll discuss that in the second half. So, Quincy Harker is the son of Jonathan and Mina Harker, who are two major characters from the original Dracula novel. Now, in the original novel, Dracula is killed at the end of it. In this version, he's not permanently killed. A thing to note about vampires. One... This is the Marvel Universe. People die every other week and come back. It's just what happens. the norm. Two, vampires die every week and come back anyway, so they really can't go longer than about 35 seconds without Dracula returning. So just keep that in mind. Also, the novel Dracula exists in this world. It is Bram Stoker writing a retelling, so it's a, that's roughly what happened here. Mm-hmm. So Quincy Harker is the son of Jonathan Amina Harker. He is also the uh, apprentice of Abraham Van Helsing, the original Van Helsing from the comics. Right. Not comics, the book. The book. Admittedly, when I think of Van Helsing, I think of Hugh Jackman from that admittedly not very good 90s movie. That was fun. Late, early 2000s, whatever it was movie. And then be like, right, he's supposed to just be like an old dude. A scholar. So he's not, in the book, he's not explicitly described as being old. Oh, okay. He's just, like... Every adaptation treats him as this weird old man. It's it's more just that, like, he's a learned professor. Mm-hmm. And, like, he's friends with Seward, who is slightly older than the rest of them, but not by much, considering he's also trying to get with Lucy. Yeah. 
That book's weird. <laughs> I actually re- really want to reread it. I haven't read it in years after reading these, but is what it is. Okay, so he's also named after Quincy, what's his name? Quincy Morris. Really just tying every member of the original Dracula story into one legacy character here. He did not originally intend to be a vampire hunter, except Dracula came back and killed his parents. Oops. They don't get a wildly happy story here. Parker starts developing an entire organization of agents, like an unofficial Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of setup of like, all right, I've got this person in Calcutta and this person here hunting down vampires, and really quickly sets himself up as probably Dracula's biggest foe. At least the biggest foe of the era, if not of all time. Mm-hmm. And is really quickly becoming a madman. He does, however, marry madman in like fun vampire hunter way, not like raving. I mean, a bit of a raving, but like fun raving lunatic kind of way. Mm-hmm. He's cute. <laughs> <laughs> he marries a young woman named Elizabeth, which immediately draws Dracula's ire because he's really tired of being hunted by Quincy's various minions. Dracula attacks them at the Royal Opera, kidnapping Elizabeth and throwing Harker off of the balcony, where his legs are permanently rendered useless. I don't know if he breaks his back or shit, whatever. He's, Mm -hmm. from this point on, stuck in a wheelchair. Also, at some point, I don't understand how this works, but at some point, his extended experience battling vampires weakens his eyes to the point that he has to wear tinted glasses at all times. Is it just because he's in the dark all the time? That's the only thing. I could find no explanation of this sentence. I mean... Just that that's what... Let me put it this I relate, considering I tend to go with, like, super dark tint sunglasses because Mm -hmm. I try to do my best to live in a cave despite being on the second floor, but... Yeah, no. But, like, I... Literally, all I can think of is like, I'm usually up at night, so I don't know what to do during the day. But he's always in his wheelchair wearing dark-tinted sunglasses. Or dark-tinted glasses. Uh, As mentioned, Dracula had abducted Elizabeth, who's found two days later with her body half-drained of blood. It takes up to four months of continual blood transfusions to uh, bring Elizabeth back to good physical health. But mentally, she never really returns. This woman is traumatized. Also, fair warning, not a single woman will have a good end in any of this episode. True. Most of... Actually, you know what? No one has a good end in any of these episodes. (laughs) It's just... The women do have it worse. They have a daughter named Edith. However, when Edith is about four years old, Elizabeth wakes up from a nightmare about Dracula, runs into the kitchen and stabs herself to death, no longer able to deal with the trauma. Oh. Harker is not having a great time. Uh, Around this time, he ends up basically adopting Rachel Van Helsing, or Von Helsing, the granddaughter of his mentor, Abraham Von Helsing, and begins training her as his vampire apprentice. We will cover her more later, but she is really not a happy story and a trauma baby about as big as his wife's. (laughs) Shocking. During this time, because he can't, 
he can't blade fight it. He can't, you know, run up and punch Dracula in the face. So he basically sets himself up as a mobile vampire trap. His wheelchair is loaded with anti-vampire weapons, which is part of the reason why I want so much more with him. Um, on Rachel's 16th birthday, Harker holds a party for her, and Dracula hypnotizes and kidnaps her during the party. I don't know if he was just invited or if he snuck up, if he waited for her sweet 16. <laughs> He's like... Dracula really is possibly the worst person we have ever covered on this show. He's pretty yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty bad. Harker He's rescues... almost hilariously bad, to be honest. Oh, we'll no, really. I love... Dr and I need... <laughs> we'll talk about it more in the Dracula episode, but I need Dracula to be wearing the old school Victorian garb. The frilly chest yes, and yes. cuffs. Like, there's times he's in armor and stuff, and it looks cool, but I want him to look like Peter Cushing is playing him. Please, thank you. Or Christopher Lee is who mm -hmm. I'm thinking of. Dracula hypnotizes Rachel and is about to attack her, but Harker comes in and fires poisoned wooden darts at him from a hidden compartment in his wheelchair. That's amazing. As you do. As you do. It's like Lone Wolf and Cub, Cub. but just like... <laughs> Just him, like if it was just the baby. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I am the lone wolf and the cub. Here we go. Which causes Dracula to flee. Now, for unknown reasons over time, Harker's organization dwindles from what's implied originally to be a significantly larger one to, at one point, just two agents. Rachel Von Helsing and a mute Indian, like from India, vampire who fights other vampires, named Taj Natal, who we will get to in a moment. During this time, they meet Frank Drake, a descendant of Dracula, who blames himself for Dracula coming back to life, but is actually not remotely his fault, which we will come to in a few minutes. I, I want to say that in Blade Trinity, that's just the alias that Dracula chooses to go by once he's in the modern day. Frank Drake? Yeah. When he's being played by a heat wave, heat wave. <laughs> from Legends of Tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> so Dominic bad. Purcell. Yeah, that's his worst role. Oh, that's yeah, easily his worst role. And I don't even think he's that good of an actor. We'll get to it. We will be actually watching that movie because it's kind of like how Gerard Butler's worst role is also Dracula. Yeah, I forgot he played Dracula. Dracula two thousand, baby. You're not missing much. <laughs> Didn't James McAvoy... Not important to what we're doing now. Uh, he also makes alliances afterwards with the Vampire Hunter Blade and the vampire detective Hannibal King. Hannibal, we will be mentioning in a few minutes. Blade, we will be talking about next Ooh, episode. I love Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> you know I do too. We'll just end it at that. <laughs> Moving on. Dracula kidnaps Edith Harker, his daughter, and demands that Quincy and his associates come to an old mansion where he is holding her captive. Harker's group arrives, and Blade drives Dracula off because Dracula has a kind of um, Mephisto-like thing of coming up with plans and getting bored with them halfway through. Yeah, he does. Yeah. He doesn't really... He's I want to say he probably doesn't get even halfway through. The problem <laughs> is, and we'll discuss this a lot more in the Dracula episode, Dracula doesn't counter things well he's like i'm dracula i can take on anyone and he's real hard to kill and he can kill most people but you get like two or three vampire hunters in the room one of them's gonna have a crucifix and he never actually like 
learns from that mistake. True. I feel like this Dracula is like Dracula in his teen years, and the Dracula we read when we were reading those miniseries, and one of them was Blade at Chernobyl. It's like old man Dracula, so he says all about politics, and this Dracula's like, no, I'm just going to kill you. Well, and then there's Dracula from MI13 that we read, who's just racist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> he's, just, <laughs> he's lived a long time. He's done some messed up stuff. Uh, however, before Dracula's driven off, he had turned Edith into a vampire. Edith is trying to keep herself from giving into, you know, the whole... I want to suck your blood thing, but is quickly losing the struggle. Harker is forced to kill his own daughter using the wooden stake attached to the handle of his cane. Whoa. Again, that man does not believe in anything but vampire hunting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The grieving Harker has her body cremated to ensure she can't be resurrected to continue her vampiric existence. Fair. Admittedly, if they came up with a storyline where it'd be interesting, she'd be back in a yes. second. <laughs> it's like uh, there's a line in a Discworld novel of the problem with killing vampires is you can kill them, cut their head off and burn them to ashes. And then someone cuts their finger at the wrong spot and suddenly they appear 300 years later because <laughs> it just takes a little bit of blood to bring them back. Eventually, Harker confronts Dracula at Castle Dracula itself in Transylvania. Harker had had a heart attack and knew that he would be dying soon. Doctors had said within a year. In his final meeting with Dracula, Harker activates a time bomb concealed within his wheelchair for 30 seconds. He then rises from the wheelchair, despite the intense pain in his legs, meaning that shouldn't theoretically be possible, and stabs Dracula with a silver stake. The internet just describes a silver stake, but from what we see in the Tomb of Dracula miniseries we read, he straight up just grabs one of the wheel spokes of his chair, which he apparently makes sure are all silver in case someone ever gets close enough to his wheel. Man, you must have to replace those a lot. Silver is not a strong metal. Also expensive. Dude. I'm not sure that that's a major concern for Harker <laughs> at this point. But just rips off that, falls on Dracula, or possibly stumbles, leaps at him, and stabs Dracula in the heart. He go- tries to cut off Dracula's head to make sure that he can never be resurrected, because apparently that's another way that works. But the whole 30-second time bomb he just set off works against him and blows him up before he can finish the job. Wow. Just buries Dracula in rubble. Mm-hmm. Now, Dracula does stay dead for Ish. a while. <laughs> in some versions, it's even for the next ten years. But it, it's a whole thing. Really, for most vampire hunters facing Dracula in Marvel, it is not a permanent solution kind of thing. It is a stopping you until the next time. It's very much like taking on a, a Hell Lord. It's like, it's like Castlevania. Mm-hmm. Like, how many generations of Belmonts have killed Dracula now? All of them. <laughs> That's why they exist. <laughs> so we're going to jump forward to his first two assistants and the ones that we actually have the least information on. First, Rachel Von Helsing. Mostly angry, scary blonde lady. Like, not to, not to limit her too much, but that's mostly what she is. 
So Rachel Von Helsing's parents are killed by Vlad Dracula and she's given a permanent hardcore scar across her forehead at a young age. She's since raised by Quincy Harker, who teaches her to hunt and kill vampires, and her life is largely defined by her urge to stab Dracula with every single thing she can get her hands on. Silver or not, she just wants to stab him a bunch. Huh. So, so Lady Blade, except only against Dracula. Yeah, I don't. I think she's got a thing against all vampires, but it's very personal mm-hmm. against her. While Blade is much more like all of them. All of them. Have you ever seen a vampire? You're welcome. <laughs> During the course of her adventure, she saves Taj Natal, who joins her on her quest. Uh, she is at one point held hostage by two of Dracula's brides who phone Quincy Harker, who was like stake over Dracula ready to kill her him when they called and are like, we'll kill Rachel if you kill him. And he backs off, which she never really forgives him for. She was super willing to die in the name of Dracula dying. During the course of the Tomb of Dracula series, she picks up a will-they-won't-they-romance with Frank Drake, who we will be covering soon, who is the wishiest washiest man in the history of... not. No, I'm not going to say that, but in this book by far, at least. They, uh, after both Harker and Dracula die, they do attempt to develop a romantic relationship, but she's unable to let go of her anger at Dracula, and with Dracula, theoretically at least, being dead... She's got nothing to do with it and starts to fall apart. They split with kind of a permanent regret on both sides, and she descends to incredibly depressing alcoholism, where she is found by a man named Gregor, who uses her to learn as much as he can about Dracula because he is a professor who has been studying and using the dark arts and is pretty much the definition of magic has a cost. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the costs is it seems to have turned most of his skin invisible and you can see his insides, which is pretty gross. Gross would imply to really hurt. Also to hurt, yes. He might just not have skin. I'm not 100% sure. But Gene Colan does a great job of making it look terrible. Rachel, in her worst fear, is eventually turned into a vampire and she convinces the X-Man Wolverine to stab her to death. I don't know how she knows Wolverine. I did not read that X-Men annual, but there was a period where Dracula was picking up an obsession with Storm. Oh, okay. Don't blame him. It's weird, but it's yeah, out of character him. for him because racist, but um <laughs> it's also Storm, so I I get it. She potentially later has her soul given to the, or inserted in the body of Frank Drake's later wife, um, Maria? I think so. I don't fully remember on that one, to be honest with you. I just read it this morning. And And I just still, yeah. That's how unimportant that character is. (laughs) The women are not the best written in these series. No. They're mostly damsels. Rachel was the only one that wasn't just a damsel, and she literally drives herself mad as a result. Mm. Um, it is, it's, it's like the, uh, the, the Patton Oswalt parks and rec, uh, Disney crossover rant. The female parts a little underwritten. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is definitely implied that her soul is brought back, but it's never for certain. It could just be that she has been psychically manipulated. Uh, I, I don't 
No, we'll discuss that later on in the episode. Okay, Taj Natal, who, one, is the only character of color that we have in this, and two, is the character that will take the absolute least amount of time to discuss, so I do apologize for that. <laughs> I promise to make up with it with the Blade episode. Taj Natal was a member of Quincy Harker's group of vampire hunters. He was attacked by Vlad Dracula, where he's turned into a vampire, but his throat is ripped out in the process, and he is a mute for the rest of the story. His wife is permanently crippled and stuck in a wheelchair, and his son is also turned into a vampire. They both hang out in India, you know, stay home, while he starts following Rachel, who saved them. Kind of saved them? Two of them got turned into vampires, so I don't think the saving worked particularly well. One out of three is not bad. Two, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm going to say this. She gets like half credit for one of them. <laughs> That's not a passing grade. <laughs> but it is a grade. <laughs> he spends the night, next five years operating as an uh, agent for Quincy. However, eventually his wife writes him a letter calling him back to Jaipur because the local villagers are scared of his son and want to kill him. He goes home, reconciles with his wife, but is unable to stop the mob of angry villagers from killing Adri. He then writes Rachel a letter quitting the book team. He will appear again later, but something to do with the original vampire Varnai, and he is killed by Hannibal Kang. I... I cannot somehow up how much I hate that all I could really find on Taj is here he is, here he dies. Hmm. But I mean, he was never a huge member of this book. Right. This brings us to Frank Drake, the titular character of this book. Or not the titular character of this book, but the the audience surrogate character of this book. You keep saying Frank Drake, all I hear is meat. <laughs> oh, God. Blade is so mean to him. Frank Drake exists as this combination of the world's most annoying character in these books, but also, like, anytime I stop... Oh, he is and, the worst in these. Anytime I stop and think about everything he actually goes through, I'm like, you know what? He's kind of handling it better than I would. Like, he just keeps having panic attacks. I have those, and I just work at a grocery store. Like, <laughs> So Frank Drake starts his life as a millionaire playboy. Although it is fun, because if you read the first issue where they first talk about that, his millionaire playboy is like the literal barest definition. He has a million dollars. Now, he does spend that in three... So he's technically a millionaire. Yes. But not really. Which, in 1970-whatever that this book first came out, that's a lot more money than it is in 2022. He does spend all of it in three years, which is still impressive now. Like, I'm not saying he's not an idiot rich kid. He's just when they're like, yeah, rich playboy. I was like, okay. I have an estimate of what that means and then realized how much the wealth gap has changed in the last 50 years. <laughs> However, he squanders all of his inheritance until he has literally nothing except for an ancestral castle in his assets. It's Castle Dracula. That's going to be the big surprise. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> he travels there with his girlfriend or fiance. I'm not 100% clear on that. She's probably going to die. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she dies in issue two. Does not last long. And his quote-unquote friend, Cliff, who is his 
girlfriend's ex-boyfriend. Mm. They also clearly hate each other. I do not know why Cliff is part of this, but he was just talking to Cliff about how he's all poor now except for owning this big freaking castle, and Cliff convinces him, oh, it's Dracula's castle? Not thinking vampires are real. We'll just go turn it into a museum. We'll, like, it's Dracula's castle. We'll sell it based off the namesake. And I guess Cliff is getting, like, half of this for some reason? What? I've read the first two issues, the only two issues with Cliff. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Also, Cliff cannot go three pages without trying to get the girl back. <laughs> Literally like, oh, he's not paying attention, staring into space. Time for us to get back together, honey. And she's like, no, piss off. <laughs> go away. He's literally 10 feet away from us. He stopped talking for 30 seconds. Also, why are you here? Why invite him? Yeah, that's the... Why is he on the trip? Why is he a business partner? He's directly cruel to both of them. And probably the most common words Frank says in the first sentence is... Or in the first issue is, shut up, Cliff. <laughs> Just repeatedly. Now... Cliff, while wandering the castle, and this is why I don't understand why Frank thinks it's his fault Dracula returned. I guess because he's why Cliff was in this castle. Because he was the dum-dum that brought Cliff along. He fall, <laughs> Cliff falls through the floor and finds Dracula's mausoleum and finds Dracula's corpse, the skeleton, with the stake through his heart. Mm -hmm. And he's like, ho, ho, this dude thought he was a vampire. Gives everyone a vampire to make everyone scared of him. That's so clever. I'm going to take this stake out and stab Frank to death and make it look like an accident so my ex-girlfriend will come back to me. What a leap in logic. It's <laughs> wild, Oh, look, Dracula's man. corpse. Anyways, I'm going to go stab this other guy. <laughs> now, I should say, Tomb of Dracula, the first ten issues are a little out there. Uh, they go through four writers in the first seven issues. <laughs> And it jumps all over from, like, universal horror, hammer horror, odd romantic setup. Marv Wolfman took over. We're just going to roll with it now. <laughs> uh, so some of the leaps of logic are very early 70s. Roy Thomas was writing this book, Leaps mm -hmm. of Logic. I think the first issue was written by Stan Lee, Roy Thomas, and Gary Conway. All of those are great Marvel 70s and 60s writers, but... It's a, it's a, they make some choices. Dracula comes back to life because they took out the stake immediately off Cliff. Good riddance. <laughs> and then turns romantic interest girl into a vampire. She comes off and on for a while, dies. Frank being like, oh my God, I brought Dracula back. Yeah, didn't, Frank, but whatever. Welcome to being a trauma, baby. This is your life now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, decides that he's going to throw himself off the London Bridge. Because life is terrible. Which, admittedly, life is pretty bad for Frank right now. This is where I start to have some sympathy for him. But he is saved by Rachel Van Helsing and Taj Natal. They take him to Quincy Harker, who recruits him for reasons that no one quite understands. <laughs> He does have some level of awareness of, like, Dracula's mind, what Dracula's up to. There is some kind of ancestral link, but it's not wildly helpful from what I can tell. It's just, well, you didn't die. <laughs> Give it a shot. He's just kind of, he's like, uh, he's like Stu and what we do in the shadows. They're just like, <laughs> well, we like you know, him. We, we kind of like him, so we keep him around. Except no one likes Frank. <laughs> <laughs> we like to pick on him. 
<laughs> Not even Frank likes Frank. <laughs> the only person who likes Frank is uh, Rachel. And she hate likes him. Mm. I mean, she hates everything. So, like, hate liking him is a pretty solid thing. He also befriends Blade, but in a very we-don't-get-along kind of way. I mean, you guys read some of that. Blade is just directly cruel to Frank the entire time. It's brutal. <laughs> Get off the ground. <laughs> the cops are on their way. You got what you wanted. Uh, the main reason a romantic relationship doesn't develop through 70 issues of this comic is that Frank has absolutely no self-confidence and Rachel is terrified of intimacy because, as we've covered, she has nothing in her but hate at this point. He, at one point, leaves the group over his on-and-off-again relationship with Rachel, where he's lured to Brazil by an old friend Danny Summers, who'd been hired by Dracula to dispose of Drake. Drake is saved by Brother Voodoo and then rejoins Harker's group. Whoa. Cool. I just like bringing up Brother Voodoo. Yeah, he's I awesome. He's I wasn't expecting him character. to show up. Yeah. But whatever. He'll actually appear in some of our reading next time. Thank you. He comes back just in time to witness Dracula's death at the hands of Dr. Sun. Dr. Sun is a robot or is a brain in a robot body. Yes. <laughs> okay. I'm all for this. Yes. Uh, a member of the People's Republic of China, and he can attack things with psionic rays and sometimes sun rays. It doesn't stick, though, because Dracula comes back and is not terribly long afterwards killed by Quincy Harker. Quincy leaves a message for Frank and Rachel saying, choose love. Mm -hmm. They attempt to, but it doesn't work out, leaving both of them deeply regretful and heavily traumatized by every second of their lives. Rough time. Mm-hmm. Upon hearing the, uh, of the death of Rachel, he realizes that Dracula is back and teams up with Blade, Hannibal King, and Doctor Strange to fight his return from the grave. Drake, King, Blade, and Strange are responsible for casting the Montesai formula, which kills all vampires. We will be covering that much more in the Dracula episode itself, because it's a pretty significant part of the whole Vampires in Marvel story. Mm -hmm. uh, it also banishes vampirism from Earth. King, the vampire detective, manages to survive the Montezai spell, thanks to the reasons we'll get to in a few minutes. Uh, and Drake, King, and Blade end up forming a private investigators group called King, Drake, and Blade, or Borderline Investigations. They will later change their name when they go through their edgy phase as the Night Stalkers. Yeah. <laughs> They're so cute. <laughs> Wishing for a more normal life, he leaves the firm and marries a woman named Marlene, who is the character. There we go. There we are. Mm -hmm. uh, as the three of them don't actually get along that well and the relationship had soured. Drake moves to Washington, D.C., marries Marlene McKenna, and uh, tells her his history with Dracula. Marlene becomes obsessed with it, partially thanks to the Gregor who had killed, not who had killed Ray, uh, Van Helsing, but who had manipulated her. Mm -hmm. Manipulating things because he's trying to bring Van Dracula back to life and comes up with the most goofy plan of how to go about it. With no backup. And then immediately gets murdered as a result. Mm -hmm. He does not last long. 
Uh, but Marlene comes under the power of Dracula and possibly the soul of Rachel scars her face to closer resemble Dracula and starts referring to herself as Rachel. Mm. At the end of the story, after uh, Dracula is killed again again, she most she begins to return to health. And her and Frank Drake disappear without telling anyone where they're going. This doesn't stick very long because she once again becomes ill for reasons unexplained. And Frank Drake is manipulated by Doctor Strange to meet up again with Hannibal King and Blade, forming the Night Stalkers. Because the Montesai spell is weakening and vampires are returning. For whatever reason, during this time, Drake begins wearing, like an old school poofy shirt that he could only have gotten from like a Renaissance fair and carrying a big fancy sci-fi gun that I believe has something to do with nanobots. Nanomachines. Nanomachines. That's right. We read this in Rise of the Night Suns that he named Linda after Linda Blair from the exorcist. None of that is explained in any place that I could find why he suddenly started dressing like that and acting like that. Did his hair just suddenly grow out overnight too to match the rest of that? I don't know, but uh, yes, he definitely grows out a ponytail, but who didn't in the 90s? <laughs> Including, he, he, but not limited to myself, if we're being honest. I was a kid, but I had a ponytail. Such, such a luxurious mane. No, it was re- that's one that takes effort. Yeah. My only problem with all the ponytails in the 90s is they always make it clear that they still have a little bit of bangs. Uh. Every single one of them, and it Never, it doesn't look good. It just means you grew a mullet, but are smart enough to keep it tied back. Uh, The group, as the Night Stalkers, by day are private investigators. By night, they fight various supernatural villains, not just vampires. They get involved in several uh, battles with the Midnight Suns and take on enemies such as the Lilin and the DOA, which is the Department of Occult Armaments, which is a Hydra-based monster group. That's kind of cool. Not mo- Yeah, we'll cover them more. We have an episode coming up about uh, government response groups to various monsters existing in the world. These guys are not government, obviously, because, you know, they're part of the terrorist Hydra. organization mm-hmm. Hydra, but it's the closest of where we're going to find time to deal with them. Uh, they are manipulated into attempting to attack Ghost Rider and Johnny Blaze and kind of ally with Michael Morbius. But mostly, I mean, we've read Rise of the Midnight Suns. They all hate each other and they're like, well, Ghost Rider's less evil than the other, so we'll work with them. But our whole thing is gotta kill all of them. They're also by far the, like the only group that could actually get things done in that crossover. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Much better than the Darkhold Redeemers, who are like, that's bad. You're like, yes, it's a demon. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, and they're eventually officially uh, inducted into the ranks of the Order of the Midnight Suns, which is a whole big Midnight Suns thing. We might have to... The Midnight Suns is very complicated because it was not very well written, if we're being 100% mm-hmm. honest. Frank is the only member that is not an official member because he can't because he doesn't 
he's not supernatural. Well, to be an official member of the order, you have to be supernatural. So he's just their hanger on. He's like that first season of Super Friends where there's Wendon and Wendy and Marvin for reasons that no one knows. Just there. Eventually, the Night Stalkers uh, break up sometime after Blade goes insane, thanks to the use of the Darkhold, and becomes Switchblade, which we will cover much more next time. I'm very excited. It's not good. Oh, Switchblade. <laughs> Why Switchblade? Uh, they also take on the Atlantean vampire Varney, who is the first vampire, during which time Drake overloads Linda, causing an explosion that was thought to destroy him and Varney, but they both arrive later. Blade will later meet up with King, who will inform him that uh, Drake does survive, but was left horribly scarred and crippled in both body and mind, and is just a shell of his former self in an insane asylum ever since. Huh. What a way to go. Which is pretty much on track for everything <laughs> we've been seeing for him so far. He couldn't even commit suicide. Again, his version of I'm becoming a tough guy is putting on a pirate floofy shirt. And blowing yeah. himself up, but not really. <laughs> this brings us to our last character for today. Hannibal King, the vampire detective. That's not actually the byline. It is what I just can't help myself but refer to. <clears throat> So, we all know Hannibal King from the movies. He's a wise-talking merc that gets caught up with the... Oh, yeah, never mind. He's Ryan Reynolds' prototype for the uh, Deadpool prototype from Wolverine Origins that leads to the actual Deadpool movie. I Legit, as soon as I saw that movie, I was like, oh, Ryan Reynolds would make a fantastic Deadpool. Yeah, no, that's great. That's perfect, yeah. That's a terrible Hannibal King. Hannibal King is nothing like this. No, it makes no sense whatsoever. I'm going to do a Hannibal King quote here because it's so over the top that it kind of perfectly encapsulates who Hannibal King is as a person because he's very much the classic noir private eye. I'm a leg man, understand? And when I take in a pair of dark slender stems resting in the doorway of this hovel I laughingly call an office, I take my sweet time before checking out the rest of what's staring at me. <laughs> Literally, if you load up... <laughs> The official Marvel wiki page, their quote is about how much he likes a pair of gams. <laughs> I just had flashbacks to, like, the Maltese Falcon, like, the black and white detective yes. shows. <laughs> He's got hardcore hair. You could put him in a Harry Dresden story, and he would fit perfectly. That could be Better a, than any other character. That could just be a substitute for <laughs> Harry Dresden. Yeah. From the first three books before, uh, before Butcher he, actually learned how to write. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, he writes better than I ever will, even in those early ones. But they're definite like, did you mean to write that line seriously? <laughs> like, Okay, anyways. Hannibal King is born in w Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is also fun because it gives him a Wisconsin accent for everything he does. That's awesome. I mean, it doesn't bring that up, but if you think about it, like, not like that old school New York or Chicago accent, but just like full on Wisconsin. <laughs> While working on a case in London, King is bitten by Deacon Frost, a vampire. Ba -ba -ba. Also but, much different than the movie. Yes. We will cover Deacon more next episode. Deacon will probably get his own little bit in the other vampires episode. Much like Varney will as well. Mm -hmm. He awakens and realizes he's become a vampire. He's disgusted and horrified, and he vows to never feed on a human and instead purchases blood from blood banks to feed. 
which is an ongoing thing in vampire stories of the vampire who doesn't give in to that. But I have to just wonder about the first person that shows up to the blood bank and is like, I give you 20 bucks. Can you give me some blood? No, don't ask questions. Or, or, or even going for, it's not weird. I just want to drink it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call the cops now. Right? <laughs> I, just, I need You this. should leave. <laughs> sure, thanks for the 20 bucks. Get the red water. <laughs> King also decides to not use his powers in his line of work and relying only on his own natural skills he develops over the years. But he can now only work at nighttime, and it becomes one of his, like, biggest wishes in life to see a sunrise again. It's very... I'm not even going to say, like, stereotype vampires, because this is old enough. It could be the origin a lot of, of a lot of these vampire stereotypes. A woman named Adrian Brown Walters enters his London office. God, that Wisconsin accent has to be even more fun when you're working in, like, old foggy London <laughs> night. She wants him to look into the murder of her husband, Fred Walters, who she believes was killed by an otherworldly beast. Mrs. Walters describes the case in detail, including the fact that she witnessed a man bite her husband across the throat before disappearing. King knows that Walters... That is detail. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she knows who it is. I think he was killed by a beast. The whole, like, biting and tearing out his throat thing is a pretty good sign. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, that sounds like a vampire. Ask me how I know that. <laughs> Would you like to know more? Pulls out blood pack with a straw. <laughs> he goes to the Lucky Inn to ask questions, where the bartender invites King into the back, where he subsequently attacks him. Oh. King easily beats the man and discovers two small bite marks on the man's neck. The man not being a vampire himself, but being a, th a thrall. thrall. Yeah. King begins to investigate Walter's employees. God, that looks Celtic. Windock? W-Y-A-N-D-A-N-C-H. Cool. Windditch? Limited. Windditch Limited. God, my friend, <laughs> my friend Anya, who has been on General Nerdery with us, who's a Celtic studies person, if she ever listens to this episode, she's just going to, she's going to stake me. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> he encounters Dracula in the process of this, who is conspiring with one of his underlings. Dracula turns to attack him, and King fires a gunshot into the vampire lord. The bullet passes through him and strikes Dracula's servant, a man named O'Brien. Dracula pushes Hannibal out of a two-story window. Uh, King gets up and goes back inside because he's a vampire and is perfectly fine. <laughs> he's like, okay. But Dracula's gone. He interrogates O'Brien and asks him about his latest shipping manifest, specifically the destination of a wooden coffin. O'Brien tells him that it was shipped to a warehouse in Kensington. Hannibal then goes to the warehouse and finds Dracula as well as several of his followers. He fought off each of the vampires and Dracula hears police sire into the distance and bounces. The Marvel thing describes as dispersed, and because it's Dracula, he might have just straight up turned into mist and left. Like, it might be an extremely literal use of the word dispersed. That's yeah. a power Dracula has. Yeah. Hannibal meets with Miss Walters, tells her everything that he learned. Just and missed him. <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> Hannibal meets up with Miss Walters, tells her everything he learned, and explains that Dracula killed her husband to cover up the paper trail concerning the export of his various coffins. I know we're in a world where she's talking to a vampire detective and she saw someone tear out his throat, but imagine you hire a private eye to figure out what happened and he's like, Miss Walters, I have the answer. It was Dracula. <laughs> Get 
I want my money back. <laughs> right. While searching for the vampire that bit him, Hannibal, Hannibal meets Blade, the vampire hunter. Uh-oh. One of everyone we've talked about could be ended with the vampire, vampire hunter, hunter here, in fairness, but it just rolls off the tongue so well. But Blade is the <laughs> Frank hunter. Drake, assistant to the vampire hunter. <laughs> the vampire detective who is also a vampire hunter. Junior hunter. Uh, at first they fight, but become mutual allies, as Frost was the one who killed Blade's mother, as well as the person who turned Hannibal. Also, he's the one vampire that Blade's ever met that Blade doesn't kill pretty much on sight, mostly because, at this point, Hannibal has never actually killed anyone. Hannibal easily defeats Blade, who in his original stories did not have half-vampire powers, but we will get to that later. Right. Uh, but due to their shared mission, they decide to work together. They wait in Frost's apartment for his recent victim to rise as a vampire. And when he awakes, he explains that he had dug up a coffin containing an exact copy of Blade. Blade and King continue their hunt for Deacon Frost, wondering how Frost intended to take over the world with a Blade clone. Blade and, Kling and King go to London so they can uh, take on the Blade doppelganger who was created to destroy King. The two fight, but Blade stops when he the two begin to fuse together upon physical contact. No, I don't understand how that works. It has, yeah. It's it must be Deacon a mystical thing. I've called it a clone, but it's, you know, magic clone. Well, that, and it's partially because Deacon Frost, his, his vampire powers work different than most vampires. Mm -hmm. Hannibal attempts to save Blade, but he's too late to stop the merging from completing. With the vampire doppelganger in full control of their unified body, it attempts to kill King. The doppelganger attacks King, and despite his savage fury, quote, he's easily fended off by King, who stabs the faux blade in the chest with one of his own wooden daggers, throwing the imitator out the window and allowing Hannibal King to escape. Because again, Blade is still just a dude at this point, and Hannibal is a vampire. Also, there's a lot of windows. There's many windows in this story. <laughs> you are not wrong. <laughs> King is still fleeing from the vampire fake Blade when the fight crashes into Dracula's party. Deacon Frost is among the crowd and watches as his uh, plan unfolds, going, this is going great. Furious with Blade's interruption with the party, Dracula attacks and is shocked to find that the longtime vampire hunter is now a vampire himself. Blade appears to have the upper hand when he stabs Dracula in the back with one of his wooden daggers. However, Dracula doesn't really care, turns around, makes fun of Blade for being bad at his job compared to the real Blade, impales the vampire do doppelganger in the chest with a stake, and kills him immediately. Huh. Uh, while investigating the murder at the hands of the Darkholders, who I did make fun of in our Darkholder episode for never doing anything useful, and it's they appear more than I gave them credit for, they still don't actually do anything useful. Mm -hmm. They're not good at their jobs. They're just... Darkholders. They're just more prevalent than I thought before. Uh, King contacts Doctor Strange. With the help of Strange, King discovers that the Darkhold contains a spell to destroy all vampires. Considering it is the source of vampirism, it had a counter too. And I guess no one paid attention to that for the past 30,000 years? Like, opening it's scary, man. I don't know. And they kept getting the wrong Darkholds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's also been a lot of Darkholds. However, despite their attempts to cast the Montesai formula, it turns out that Dracula's also been resurrected. King, along with Blade, Frank Drake, uh, or and Frank Drake, visit Castle Mordo, the home of Baron Mordo. 
to retrieve the Darkhold. And if there's one person who we know cannot handle the Darkhold, it's probably Mordo. Oh, it's fine. That man is not good at anything he attempts to do. <laughs> That's why it's fine. <laughs> Uh, they battle Dracula and the Darkholders and use the book to cast the Montesai formula. The formula destroys all existing vampires, including Dracula, and prevents any new vampires from ever being created. King, however, is not destroyed because he's never taken blood from a living person. Strange still has to perform a complete blood transfusion for King to survive, though, because the whole vampire blood getting burned out of him thing. Yeah. The transfusion, however, returns him to a human. The three form Borderline Investigations, as mentioned, better known as the Night Stalkers. They fight the Darkholders multiple times and mostly operate as allies of Doctor Strange. They try to battle alone without the aid of the Sorcerer Supreme, and it doesn't go wildly great. King later accompanies the Defenders as one of their many rotating team members, uh, where they stop the plans of someone named Minerva Bannister. Don't know who that is. Only so much time I have to look up every... Every character mentioned in these. Uh, the agency discontinues after Drake left and Blade's committed to a psychiatric hospital for the first of many times uh, following a battle with the temporary resurrected Dracula. Strange later arranges the release of Blade really probably before he should be and they come back together as the Night Stalkers. During this time, his as the uh, Montesai Forum weakens, his... Uh, powers begin to return. He slowly starts becoming a vampire again. King teams up with uh, the Punisher to battle a dangerous cult leader named Shiv. Working together, they're able to stop the cult from sacrificing any more people. The team battles various supernatural threats such as Stone Cold and Vic Slaughter, which I mostly <laughs> named because I really just wanted to say those names out loud. No, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, they tangle with the DOA often, and they encounter the dreaded Short Circuit, which is not the little robot from the movie. Johnny Five isn't alive? No, he's just another Lilith. Mm. One of Lilith's kids. They, they're all various forgettable mystical enemies that we saw on our Midnight Suns episodes. Uh, and they team up with an alternate evil reality version of Hannibal King. Spock with a beard version of Hannibal King. That's actually bad because that Spock was not that evil, but still. Uh, Blade's desire to destroy supernatural enemies lead him into using the Darkhold and becoming Switchblade, as mentioned. King and the Night Stalkers eventually stop Blade, using another page of the Darkhold to restore things to normal. They work with the Darkhold Redeemers to battle Martine Bancroft and more Lillin. They fight Lillin all the frickin' time. And they battle a new threat called Bad timing. His name is just bad timing. He's another Lillen. So just all the Lillen. It's just Lillen. Lillen, Lillen, Lillen. They end up battling Bloodstorm, who is a clone of Dracula, who does not really look like Dracula, but that is what it is. Uh, and it end up going up against Varney, the original vampire. During this time, they end up staking former ally, now vampiric, Taj Natal who was working for Varney, mm -hmm. I have to assume against his will. Uh, at the end of this story, Frank Drake blows himself up in Varney, and the Night Stalkers go their separate directions, as Blade leaves New York. In New Orleans, he teams up again, again with Blade uh, when Mary Laval and Deacon Frost attempt to take over 
New Orleans, which leads to a story that we will be reading soon with the, as Blade, Hannibal King, and Brother Voodoo working together, which just sounds fun. This is the point where it starts being he just appears random, like, instead of ongoing series, it's like, oh, oh. he teams up there, and oh, oh look, he here's teams up there. So oh, it's a that. lot of, like, this happens. Then this completely unrelated thing happens. Yeah. And then this was going on over there, and it just so happened that Hannibal was buying donuts across the street. Right, and exactly. Uh, he later sets up a small shop in San Francisco where CIA agent Tajana Stiles hires King to investigate the vampire Navarro, who was stealing biological weapons. King is captured by Navarro and forced to feed on a live human to prevent, prevent them uh, from being turned into a vampire. So they were going to be turned into a vampire. He's forced to kill them to stop that from happening. Why he has to feed on them, I don't understand, to be honest with you. King and Tajana Styles eventually destroy Navarro, but Tajana was horribly injured. She begs King to make her a vampire in order to save her, and King gave in, taking his second human life. He's really quickly descending on the whole, I won't. The slippery slope. Do this. Also, he killed the first person to keep her from becoming a vampire, and he kill, uh, turns the second one into a vampire <laughs> to keep her from dying. So over the course of the story, he makes some... Uh, Interesting decisions. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love this sentence that's coming up. Spider-Man goes undercover to Club Jugular in an investigation into The Zombie, a man named Simon Garth, who we'll be covering more later. While poorly attempting to pass as a goth, he runs into Hannibal King and Lilith Drake, the daughter of Dracula. Lilith and Hannibal fight each other while Pete changes into Spider-Man. As soon as he enters the fight, Lilith tosses him through a window. Hannibal fails to obtain the amulet of Dumballa from her, and Lilith escapes. Spider-Man and King decide to team up to track down Lilith. King tells him about the amulet and that the zombie was responsible for recent abductions. Uh, the Amulet of Dumbala allows you to control the undead. So mm. it's being used to control zombies. They track Lilith to her lair and resume the fight. Lilith wants to enslave King and turn her into his personal vampire general. King refuses the offer and succeeds in snatching the amulet. He then orders Zombie to attack Lilith, but Lilith breaks free uh, and escapes because things are just going really bad for her. Just as the sun begins to rise in the sky, King has Zombie crated up and shipped to New Orleans. He travels ahead to confer with his client, Donna Garth, daughter of the once-human zombie, Simon Garth. King gives her the Ambulate of Dombala. I'm sure we will pursue that farther on the zombie episode. King assists Blade in London, where the later confronts Draconis, a vampire in previous to all forms of exorcism. Huh, that sucks. Yeah, he's not nearly as exciting as I'd hope he'd be. Also, why isn't he exorcised? <laughs> God. Okay. Uh, the two vampire hunters later battle Union Jack, who is a British superhero and vampire hunter himself. Back in the U.S., King and Blade help Spider-Man battle the criminal Fracture. Blade's father, Lucas Cross, offers a way to restore the souls of all vampires, but in addition, the effect would remove all of the traditional vampire weaknesses. Vampires would get their souls, but they would also no longer garlic crosses. It'd be Blade's right. job would be so. Much harder. Mm -hmm. The spell is dependent on Blade, who refuses to provide invulnerability to his sworn enemy. Blade attempts to enlist King against Blade's father, but King refuses and attacks Blade uh, for denying him his one of his greatest desires to see the sunrise again. So Blade murders King. 
Now, in all of the earlier appearances, Blade is just wrecked anytime he tries to take on King. But as Blade has had power creep, King hasn't. So suddenly the the uh, sides are significantly shifted when it comes to power levels. Blade kills King, leaving behind only a smoking stain on the cobblestones. However, he's returned to life along with all other vampires the Blade had killed, and Blade decides to give him a potion that would stop him from needing to feast on blood instead of killing him again. We will cover more on that one next time on the Blade story. That's wild. Blade stories are wild, and a lot of these characters are, like, coming in on the Blade issues and then disappearing again, so hopefully some of these stories will make a little more sense once we get to that point. Um, that is the very scattered, very, very scattered telling of the various characters from Tomb of Dracula. Woo! Yeah! Let's take a quick break, and then we will be discussing the Tomb of Dracula follow-up miniseries that we read, Day of Blood, Night of Redemption. Minute, 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 minute. So, we read Tomb of Dracula, Day of Blood, Night of Redemption. Which, like Damon Hillstrom, Son of Satan, should probably said the whole thing every time. Um, it is a four-issue miniseries created in 1992 with returning writer and artists Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan with a different anchor of Al Williamson, uh, which I'm only bringing up because we talked about Tom Palmer before. In It is a sequel to the original Tomb of Dracula series and feels like it's really obviously hoping to lead to a new Tomb of Dracula ongoing because all of the stuff ends with like, I fear it's only just beginning. <laughs> but instead they went with Night Stalkers. Right. I don't know if those were incompetent. I don't, I have no idea why that's the direction they went. Um, Kind of sad about it because I actually really enjoyed this. I did realize while reading it with especially with Mac here having never read of Tomb of Dracula, and I'm willing to bet never having heard of Tomb of Dracula before this podcast. Didn't know it existed. Exactly. But have you read Dracula? Yes. Okay. A lot. It this was kind of the equivalent of having uh Mac watch the original prequel trilogy, entirely skipping the original Star Wars trilogy, and then showing him Force Awakens. Force Awakens is actually a really good um, comparison, considering that this four-issue miniseries is kind of just a retelling of Dracula. Mm-hmm. But also, like, bringing back characters, bringing changed, new characters, but... seeing what happened to old characters that Marcus had never... I mean, Quincy Harker and Rachel, there's... You figure out what happens to them in this, but I was kind of like, read this, it'll be fine. It is how I read comics growing up, though. Like, oh, we're releasing Tomb of Dracula miniseries. And I was like, hell yeah, that's supposed to be good. I'll read that. I've never read a page of Tomb of Dracula before this, but <laughs> it'll be fine. It is something I find interesting growing up reading comics in the 90s and early 2000s versus people who read comics now and have this intrinsic need to start with issue one. Where I'm like, I'll start with... Whatever I can get my hands on. <laughs> yeah, I guess there was a certain part of me that every time Frank started getting annoying, I just sort of was like, well, he is basically just being Jonathan Harker right now, so I'll deal with it. I didn't want to agree with Blade, because like, Blade, you have to stop yelling at this man. Please. But also, <laughs> like, I kind of agreed with Blade a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, the scene where he's crying on the floor. <laughs> 
crawling on the floor. And Blade's like, we don't have time for this. Just get up, man. Let's go, dude. <laughs> you did this. We have to fix this. <laughs> I might have laughed the most at this one compared to any of the other readings for a couple little things. Like we were talking earlier about how it was kind of cool, how Quincy has like his wheelchair all like decked out for, for monster fighting and stuff. Mm -hmm. But after like watching Dracula, just like get mad that his barest attempt at like (laughs) doing anything doesn't work and literally ripping someone's face off. And then you get the panel of Quincy just like, leaning forward in his wheelchair, just, like, poking a stick into his stomach. (laughs) 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 I I got you! It looked so... just, like, 90s. (laughs) What's weird is we've read... Okay, so you keep describing it as so 90s, and in ways it is, like, him being like, what is this? And it's a (laughs) CD-ROM, which really does bring me back to it being about eight years old, really hardcore. (laughs) Yeah. But, um... You call it so 90s, but it, it was an artist that most of his big name stuff was in the 70s and 80s. Mm. And when I think of a comic as so 90s, I think of stuff like Rise of the Midnight Suns. Where there's See, like the random thing. cyborg bits and stuff. I feel like this has all the same energy as Rise of the Midnight Suns. It just doesn't have the same fashion. Mm. That's fair. That's very fair. I... Honestly, I love... This is one of my favorite books that we've read because it's so over the top. I just sort of love the Dracula that just, like, walks around. Dracula in this is kind of like the stereotypical barbarian Uh where it's just like, I will attempt to make word word didn't work punch. (laughs) I'll I'll kill you. I just... We just said you had to turn on the Turk signal. I don't even understand what that means. <laughs> Murder. <laughs> Dracula has no sympathy for anything that's going on here. Like literally, he keeps being like, I just need to learn about this world. But instead, I'm going to go tear that man's face off. <laughs> Thanks for resurrecting me. Let me poke your eyes out and rip your head off. <laughs> Gene Colan's art style has gotten even more hectic and chaotic, but not in like a bad way. Mm-hmm. But just a very, you know, Dracula almost immediately stops being the classic hammer horror look and is just almost Nosferatu burns. Blade is transform is in a weird middle transformation because he hasn't yeah. gone full like leather Wesley Snipes blade. I should stop saying Wesley Snipes blade because it actually happened slightly before Wesley Snipes. It was Spider Man the animated series that really did it, but um. That's really like that 90s era that it sells into. But he's not old school blade that has like green highlights and like an orange leather jacket. Or it it ranges heavily on the colorist between orange, brown and red. But yeah, like that old school one. And so it's his old costume, but all black. I don't hate it, honestly. Like a blade with the goggles kind of works for me instead of the the shades that he's always wearing Mm -hmm. in the modern depictions. It is weird because, again, as we, and we'll discuss this more next week, I am used to Cool Guy Blade. I'm used to Wesley Snipes Blade, and I do mean Wesley Snipes Blade yes. in this case. Like, always quiet, tough guy. You know, we saw him in, um, in, in some of the Avengers stuff that we've read where Blade had appeared in it. Uh, 
I'm I'm quiet here and I don't trust you and you're gonna do what I say and try and stop me and this one's just like I'm gonna just yell at you I'm gonna yell at you and call you meat try like let's do this you called me we're doing this my way woo <laughs> wow I've taken a whole snifter of cocaine let's kill some vampires <laughs> this might be the horniest book we've read for this series one of the lines was she would have rather died in orgasm. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> I'm not saying that's how I want to die, but there's worse ways than die I know. than in orgasm. But the, the context of that sentence and the context of the entire story about her is depressing. I'm like, oh. <laughs> but no. I just like, okay, so this woman is slowly having breakdowns that they're just slowly growing comfortable talking about crashes her car because she starts hallucinating vampires opens up to her husband who goes through a, a trauma story of going through basically his yearbook photo of vampire hunting mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then with his wife who's recovering from a hardcore like concussion and trauma incident of crashing her car at high speeds they just bang just like well Look, I that, guess we're together now. Time to start tearing off your clothes. That still makes more sense than, well, it doesn't make more sense. I'm but not is saying. It, but is it easier to process than uh, brainwashed Lila later on mounting Dracula like he's an old guy in the bathroom of the quick stop? Yep. Yep. <laughs> that's quite, that's right. You went and saw Clerks 3 this week. Okay. Oh. That does happen, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a lot of hookups in this book. I, that actually brings up a thing I did want to mention. It is a kind of like partial credit, partial just eye roll at the, the 90s way of handling queer characters, in this case lesbians. Oh, right. Credit to this book in 1992 for introducing a lesbian character. That's extremely rare. They dance around it a lot, but you know exactly what they're talking it's, about. It's one of those very 90s way. They never directly be like, she gay. But, I mean, her and her roommate yeah. who visits every Thanksgiving, like we're yep. dot, 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 close. Yeah. Italicized. <laughs> I'm not into men. Me and my roommate were dot, dot, dot. Close. Close. But immediately having her hypnotized by Dracula and just desperate to mount him for the rest of the book, no matter how I got my face burned off he was, maybe not the best representation. Right, although you can kind of guess that that's where it's going as soon as you realize that she's the Lucy Western stand-in. Oh, yeah. And it's not the, you know, worst thing of all time. I just definitely, yeah, like, no. there's a queer character. And I'm like, it's the 90s. Nothing good is going to happen to the, oh, yep, oh. Nothing good happened. Nothing good. Oh, she's banging vamp Dracula now. That's got to be awkward on, like, 16 different levels. I just, Gregor's stupid, stupid, like, I built up this insane reservoir of psychic power for you, Master. I just... I apparently just need to be a vampire instead of being a crazy cult leader with amazing powers that, you know, maybe if I just turned a page in the dark hold, I'd, I'd be able to use this That'd to turn fine. me immortal That'd instead. And I had I no say, backup plan for when Dracula came back and just didn't like my plan. <laughs> also, at no point has Dracula always been like, 
You know what I could use? Huge reservoir of psychic power. <laughs> Let me see if I have Gregor's play. I'm going to try to lay it all out. Also, as much as we're making fun of this book, I really do very highly recommend it. Was it was really good. Yeah, I no, very I, much I liked it. it. Um, Gregor, who is a professor of the occult, who escaped from the USSR, because again, 1992, comes to America having wrecked his body through years of the dark arts and all the ways that Doctor Strange just never bothers to pay, and decides that the only way to deal with this is to become a vampire, to become immortal and become a vampire. Not sure how that will solve the whole my skin might be gone thing. Right, wouldn't that just make him immortal and my skin is gone? Yes. But decides that he needs to become immortal because his dark powers are killing him. And literally the first and only thing he comes up with is, I'll become a vampire. I am making fun of him here, but it is kind of a thing in fiction. Mm -hmm. I'm going to die. I should become a vampire instead. You're like, where did that come from? You live in Wisconsin. This is not a big part of your life up till now. So his solution to becoming a vampire, instead of finding literally any other vampire, because he's it not... has to be Dracula. It has to be Dracula. But he starts a literal cult of Dracula mm. from all the different places around the world that he goes to teach and sets up these things and somehow keeps in touch with them, even though I'm pretty sure the Iron Curtain was still up during this time, <laughs> which means all of those cults he built in, you know... Russia and East Germany yeah would be real tough to get to wait did he say that the cults were around the world or just around different college campuses in the US okay I thought it was around the world but I uh, okay that part makes sense but still just imagine having to call up everyone being like at exactly set wait are you mountain time or eastern time okay (laughs) eight 30 this night. <laughs> Wait, you're Arizona, right? Oh, God. <laughs> right. Does that... I don't remember what part of Idaho. Um... I like also that cold opening with the some of his cultists was really good. Where she's like, we did this before and it was fine. And her friend's like, I don't think out. that's fine. I'm out. And then she cuts her hand and does the spell and just bursts into flames. I was like... The other lesbian that dies immediately. Yeah. That's a good That's a good cold open. It gets you a good tone for it what's going to happen. It, you're yeah. like, oh, this is going to be a dark book. Yeah. But, To continue Gregor's plan, he then seduces Rachel with a combination of booze and, I guess, his hot old man body. (laughs) Bad psychology, yes. It's like, you know what part of me isn't transparent yet? (laughs) (laughs) You'll see that coming. God, this isn't just the horniest book we've ever read. This is the horniest episode we've ever recorded. Uh, To... Learn everything he can about Dracula. He then ditches her, finds out she dies, tracks down Frank Drake, Dracula's descendant, convinces him to fall in love and marry Marlene, who has untapped psychic potential. She might be a mutant, it's not quite clear, but I guess just a certain percentage of humans are psychic. And then uses their combination of traumas and psychics to like feed off each other to attract the soul of Rachel to take over the body so they can track down where Dracula was buried. 
He then yes. revives Dracula, offers Dracula the untapped psychic reservoir and how to use a CD-ROM, and he's like, I just need you to transform me first. But because Dracula is Dracula, he just murders him. Yeah. I guess he's the Renfield of this story, but like... He's the closest thing, yeah. If Renfield thought he was a supervillain, I just... <laughs> I love nonsensical supervillain plots, but this is a pretty nonsensical plot. Also, it seemed like Dracula also didn't know what to do with the Psychic <laughs> Reservoir. Like, he like, he's he's like, I guess it's power. That's great. Like, I do appreciate it. I could it, really but use some healing right now. <laughs> I have so much other stuff to do first. Like, like when he offered, when the professor offered him, Dracula's like, I don't need power. I'm Dracula. <laughs> like, why would you offer me this? <laughs> you saying I'm weak? Although it's a lot like Victor Von Doom, he probably should have taken the power. Like, he takes it when he shouldn't, and he doesn't. When he needs it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, he definitely should have kept that guy around. It would have been a lot better for Dracula. If he had fed on him and turned him into a vampire, he probably would have gotten some of the healing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he wouldn't have died, because then he would have had a weird psychic vampire dude with him. I do like... I do like... <laughs> I also love the amazing fact that Dracula gets super effed up by the fact that for once when somebody pulls a crucifix on him they don't just stand in place and wait for him to go away they shove it in his face that's the big difference (laughs) (laughs) so we are introduced to a new character here who as far as i know is never seen again which is too bad but because i kind of liked her but kalinka who is a uh, uh, what's Katinka? The, Katinka. Because I call her Cat for short a couple Kat, thank times. Thank you. Mm-hmm. What? What's the? Uh, she's an albino woman mm-hmm. with an accent that I could never place what it was supposed to be. I. So I'm gonna say that I think she's supposed to be a really bad written attempt at like. Like South, like Louisiana. Okay, because I was thinking either like Jamaican or African-American vernacular. So that would kind of work. Um, The the speech is obviously supposed to be something, and it's not very well written. Marv Wolfman's good at a lot of things, but I will actually put Marv Wolfman in the running for one of the greatest comic book writers of all time. I mean, he created Blade, most of the Teen Titans... Wrote Crisis on Infinite Earths, mm-hmm. like incredibly important creator, but he writes so much that there's definite missteps, and you're like, "Ooh, buddy, that was a little rough. That was not your best choice there." Yeah, no, it took me multiple pages of being like, "What is this supposed to?" Oh, I get it. <laughs> I get it. She's black. Didn't get that. <laughs> definitely a thing there. It's but um, despite that writing, I actually kind of wanted more because a anti-vampire nurse is actually a super useful thing to have in a world where Blade has to do stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if she's kind of the inspiration for Blade's romantic interest in the first... I would have to look that up. I'll find out. But I don't know, but it made me think because we are getting another Blade adaptation with mm-hmm. Mahershala coming up, it would be great to have this character around in some way. I, I know we need I think it's a great opportunity for an actor. I don't want to necessarily get rid of what could potentially be a really interesting female part, but there is actually a really good uh, black albino actor who was like the guy that played Tobias Whale in uh, oh, Black yeah. Lightning. 
and he was like and he was the voice for for like his one line of uh tombstone in spider-verse yeah yeah i think there's a lot of black albino characters in comics aren't there yeah i think he would be and have him set up to be kind of like somewhere between katinka and whistler Whistler. yeah you know perhaps the best way to sum up tomb of dracula is that we specifically left Blade out of this to have his own episode. And we've and talked Marv about Wolfman, Blade so yes, much. <laughs> Marv Wolfman specifically brought up, like, I can't use Blade too much because no one will care about anyone else. Completely correct. Well, and, Dracula. It's Dracula and Blade. It's There's a reason Frank Drake stops being used. I desperately want to know how he goes from this to Puffy Shirt and Mina. Well, here's the other thing, like... Not Mina, uh, Linda. In this, he's also, without being a vampire, he's kind of Louie from um, Interview with a Vampire. So, of course, uh, he would end up wearing the, the... Yeah, The puffy. I've not really watched or read Interview, but he's... Uh, Louie is, in the first one, he's the guy that sort of gets turned into a vampire oh, okay, by yes. Lestat, and then really has a hard time with it, and is like trying to live like a clean life and stuff where Lestat's kind of just a giant jerk to him the entire time, kind of like blades a jerk to Frank. And, but then as you go, as you get past the first book and into like the vampire Lestat and everything else, you basically find out that Louis is just the softest vampire to have ever been. (laughs) (laughs) I do like that. Literally the only people who are nice to Frank is Katinka. (laughs) And I guess kind of his wife, but even then, she's, she is at first, but when she gets possessed, she's pretty quick, like, you're weak. He's like, I'm Rachel, and we can be together again, but you're weak. He's like, okay. I just, again, <laughs> you're right. I keep wanting to be like, stop it. Get up. Focus up. Things are happening. Stop crying. But I have had panic attacks that put me on the floor before for significantly smaller reasons than possibly the spirit of my dead ex-girlfriend has possessed my wife and Dracula, my ancestor, is trying to murder me. Like as That was speak, one of the times, though, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we all have one. That time Cece got possessed by someone else yeah. and Dracula attacked. You know how it goes. <laughs> so it's one of those things, of, it's relatable, but also, we got stuff to do right now. <laughs> you literally called me, and I'm here, so let's go. Why does he call him meat? Uh, why does Blade call him meat? I never quite... I don't know if that's a thing from the original series. Or I think it's because he's... Just useless? He, I think it's because he's useless and just legit normal human he's hanging meat, out with everybody. He's a meat shield. I do like that Dracula showed up like, you are the most useless descendant I've ever had. <laughs> I, regret make, I regret that you exist. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had hardcore um, Lilith talking to Blackout vibes there. <laughs> God, you're bad bright. at this. Shut up, you're a Lilith. <laughs> you know what? I will say this about literally no one else ever. Frank is more useless than Blackout. Yes. Frank yeah. is more useless than and Blackout. And Blackout is the man that has set both sides of his face on fire because he keeps trying to bite <laughs> Ghost Rider. Yeah, but no, one hundred percent He is bad enough that he did it once because his face is on fire. And he at least has robot it. jaws. Yeah, yeah. He at least attacked Ghost Rider. <laughs> it's been I mean, crying on so the floor about Ghost Rider. <laughs> I guess Frank's trauma response was like, I have to become tough. I mean, I suppose that 
I mean, look, the Darkstalkers did put Ghost Rider in their place in like an issue. Oh yeah, no, they wrecked it. He's puffy shirt aside that I will never stop making fun of. He's really cool in that issue. I just that issue. <laughs> how we got from that this to that is the part that I just like. Marvel's doing this thing right now where they're doing a bunch of miniseries back during popular eras. Like, mm. oh, Peter David was a big writer. Uh, let's have him write a, a Spider-Man story during the Black Suit era or whatever. It will never be made. But hire Marv Wolfman or Len Kaminsky or whoever the heck wrote Night Stalkers and just have the story of how Frank Drake's had his personal breakdown to it's become like, cool man, Frank Drake. Like just in between the end of this and uh-huh. the beginning of that, just Frank like hitting the gym like every day, letting his hair grow out and like have a moment of him like surviving a vampire fight, like shirtless, all messed up and like looking up and seeing like the Halloween store. <laughs> He's like Yes. <laughs> have that moment where, like, they have in the movie where you see, like, looking in the reflection and, like, you see the face imposed over the man, like, reflection of the face imposed over the mannequin of whatever he's wearing and being like, Yes, Father, I will become a poofy pirate man. <laughs> Where'd you get the gun, Frank? No idea. It just showed up. <laughs> I, I was busy getting this awesome shirt. I cannot get over the shirt. I'm so sorry. It's not even from what we read this time. I think it's because it's like when you Google Frank Drake, it's the main image to pop up. Oh, yeah. Why wouldn't it be? Because it's perfect. Him with his big sci-fi gun that like Cable would want. Yeah, it's that's perfect. Uh, Everything else about Frank Drake is not. It's why I love comic books so much. Uh, Hot take. Heatwave Frank Drake is better than Frank Drake. Ooh, buddy. We'll get to Blade Trinity, and I'm. You might have made me disagree with you. <laughs> because that Frank Drake at least is still Dracula. <laughs> and gets offended with the freaking um, Dracula dildos at the Dracula oh, store he goes right. to. I what? forgot about that. What? <laughs> you? That's right, you never saw Blade Trinity. We'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> what a sentence. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, I would be too if I walked in the store. I saw. Also, I think he wears the poofy shirt. <laughs> oh, he definitely wears the poofy shirt. He one hundred percent wears the poofy shirt. Oh, Dominic Purcell. I mean, they paid you so good for you, bud. But okay, do we have anything else about Day of Blood, Night of Redemption? No, I think that's. Everything. I enjoyed it. It's. It was a lot bloodier than I thought it was going to be. It is not on the Marvel Unlimited Unlimited app. I'm sorry. I thought it was, and we found out it wasn't after we announced what it, uh, what we were going to record. It is, however, not expensive to get your hands on. So if you ever get a chance, I do actually highly recommend reading it for a wild ride. Next time, as we've mentioned, we will be tackling the man himself, Blade. Yeah. Uh, and trying to not just compare him to the movie one, because we'll have an episode for that of the movies too, but I'm sure it'll come up because it's how most of us know Blade. We will be reading none of the Blade solo series that come up because most of them never even got finished. We'll cover that too. We will be reading the miniseries Spirits of Vengeance, which lets us come back to Damon Hellstrom, Son of Satan, as well as Blade, so I'm super into it. And a one-shot called Blade Crescent City Blues. 
I checked. Both are on the Marvel Unlimited app. What um, era of look is it for Damien Hellstrom, Son of Staten? Uh, shirtless. Okay. Yeah. Full shirtless with the the thing and the thing. It's his classic look. Okay. Um, I don't think he's wearing the big cape, but... Gotcha. Okay. It came out in, like, 2017. Cool, cool. Cool, cool. Well, that's all the time we have set aside for our lesson today. For those of you staying on the island, the quarterly game of cricket starts soon. For everyone else, we hope your cruise back to the wild world nerdery is swift and safe and super fun. Bon voyage. Thank you for listening to this episode of Noob Island. If you like the show, please hit subscribe. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, that would also be super helpful. As always, we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network and would greatly appreciate it if you could go check out all of our sister shows over at earworm.com. That's E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. A big special thanks to Ian Ford for our theme song and music. We'll catch you next time.